hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Kanja Book Club. The price of admission? What is up, everybody? Or should I say, hello there? Welcome to the Conja Book Club, a weekly teeny podcast where we intentionally experience Star Wars books together with our incredible community. I am one of your hosts, Timothy Guthrie, and I am joined this week, mixing it up a bit, by a man who has many things to celebrate today, Patrick McIntosh. How you doing, man? Kenobi, you are a good one. I am good today, man. I am very good. Good. As long as Florida gets the W today, you're going to be extra good, right? Coming off of a Man U win... Coming off of a win I'm, for America. I'm scared because my team's never win in the same day. So I'm like, I should have sacrificed United. Not, I can deal with Adam's happiness. <laughs> well, and sp- speaking of the man whose happiness truly matters to us, Adam, how are you doing today? Your lies are being recorded, Timothy. Okay. You don't care about my happiness. <laughs> I do well, care about your happiness. <laughs> I I was one of the first to express sympathy at Everton's loss this morning. Today is about me and my feelings, okay? Not <laughs> not your defeat of fascism. It is about me <laughs> and only me. <laughs> you're you're okay. Okay, I'll give you that. It it's been a tough day. <laughs> well, glad to have you both here uh, with me. If y'all are new to the show. Welcome. We're live in Discord every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern. And if that isn't enough for you, we also hit the Utini Patreon feed every Tuesday morning around midnight. If you'd like more info on Discord or Patreon, shoot us a message. We'll get you all sorted out. And hello to all of our friends in the chat as well. We've got Brea and Chris and Gobbleksy, a.k.a. Joxy, a.k.a. Jose, the man. Adam, I see you just like, you just hating on me today. I'm not feeling it. <laughs> Glad to have all of y'all here. A couple of game night, or sorry, a couple of game nights, a couple of updates. Adam, you want to hit us with a Discord update? Sure can. So this will be happening tonight. So when this comes out on Patreon, this will already, already have been done and it will be a successful Trivial Pursuit game night tonight. So at 8, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific, jump in. Cheryl Bell, one of our patrons, is running it. So if you join, Tim, I will beat you. It's my sole mission. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So tonight, for those listening live, we do have the Star Wars Trivial Pursuit game night. Yeah, and this has been a real work. Like, like the the community has really pulled together to get this done. I know Cheryl had had been working on this weeks ago, trying to find a way to um, to get some kind of game night to happen, and she's going to be spearheading the whole thing. So, um, really excited, really excited for that. Mm, definitely. Hopefully, I'll be able to get in and and, and school you guys some. <laughs> we, we will see. see. We. I used to be really good at it. <laughs> Um, nothing really too new on the Patreon front. We do have some new episodes um, of some favorites coming out this week. Um, Eric actually released a video for our Inquisitorious tier and up, taking us through his entire Funko collection. His enti- That man has so many freaking Funkos. It is astounding and is absolutely wonderful. So if y'all want to check that video out, it lives with our Inquisitorious tiering up. So if y'all want to bump up to the $10, that's where it starts. Um, you can go back and view all of our old decrypted 
um, which is our behind the scenes stuff. Um, and you also get access to some of Corey's uh, Wayfinder event uh, videos, which are kind of like this is where the company is going. Some really cool things down the line. Um, so definitely check that out if you want to. Next, we're going to move on to what comes next for the Conjure Book Club. We are starting Kenobi today, which is super exciting. But we got to talk about December because, Patrick, you've got a W. You the the people have decided it was kind of close. Not going to lie. Um, we are going to be covering the Age of Republic uh, comic limited series in December. Congratulations. Do you have anything you want to say, Patrick? That's two wins for America in one week. <laughs> You're welcome, America. Patrick's coming through for you. Right. Um, so, yeah, Chris, we're doing something really cool in December. Um, we are uh, because of the holiday schedules and things like that. Um, we decided to treat y'all to something a little bit special. So we're going to cover, for the very first time, comics on this show. We're going to cover the villains from the Age of Republic series on week one in December, that first Saturday in December. And then we're going to be covering the heroes on week two. And then we're going to take the rest of December off. Really excited about that. So we're going to cover Maul, Jango Fett, Count Dooku, and General Grievous on week one. And then Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, Anakin, Padme and the special on week two. So very excited about that. Um, I'm going to post links to um, the hardback edition because I think it's technically cheaper when you consider a per issue basis. So links to that we'll throw it in the discord um, at some point during or after the show. And then it'll also be linked on Patreon as well. If you want to go ahead and um, use that Utini affiliate link and get that. And then if you haven't already pre-ordered Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule, we're going to be covering the very first High Republic book in January. So make sure to go ahead and get that pre-purchased. Um, we're going to that book comes out on the 5th, I believe, and we will be covering it like four days later. So super excited to do that, too. Well, boys, you ready to get into Kenobi? Let's do it. We're going to do a little bit quick introduction to the book. Uh, Kenobi was released on August 27th, 2013. Uh, believe it or not, this book had been a work in progress for a very, very, very long time. Uh, it's written by John Jackson Miller. He initially tried to write it back in 2006. And when he was finished with kind of writing it, scripting it out as if it was going to be a comic series or something, he realized, nah, this is going to be better as a book. <laughs> He had written so much content that it just ended up working out so much better. So very glad for that. John Jackson Miller also wrote a lot of Legends content. And Patrick, you might be able to speak to some of these things. So he's written over 50 novels and short stories that span everything from Knights of the Old Republic to the Knight Errant run to Lost Tribe of the Sith stories, including several others. You've read some of those, Patrick, right? Absolutely. Um, I think I'm actually going to take a deep dive into... Knights Errant, um, shortly, just like in my own little free time on audio, get like the audiobook going, because I feel oh. like that's such an era that's not fleshed out enough, especially right. in the Legends timeline. I, I, especially like that leading up to Darth Bane era, get a whole backstory of what's going on. 
That's good stuff. Well, I'm really excited to read more of him. Um, we have gotten a little bit of him in canon. Uh, we've got A New Dawn was one of the, it was the first book that was released, I think, um, into the new canon. Introduced a lot of really cool characters, um, got us to see um, Kanan and Hera and kind of the way that they met. And it also introduced Admiral Ray Sloan, which is really cool. Um, she was kind of the primary villain of most of this new um kind of new breed of books um, as an imperial threat. Um, and he's actually returning to canon. Um, he's doing a short story, uh, bringing Ray Sloan back into the picture with the From a Certain Point of View Empire Strikes Back book, which is coming out on Tuesday, if you're listening to this today on Patreon. And it's uh, the short story there is Lord Vader will see you now. And that's bringing Ray Sloan back in. He gets to write her again for the first time since A New Dawn, which is really cool. So no stranger to Star Wars at all. The audiobook is done by Jonathan Davis. Um, I am not listening to this one on audiobook, unfortunately. Whenever I read a book for the first time, I try to read it, read it. So hopefully I'm, I'm going to be able to pick up the audiobook at some point in the near future. But I've heard good things. It's set 19 years before the Battle of Yavin. Obviously, right after Revenge of the Sith, this is like it picks up right where that movie ends, right where that book ends. And this has been dubbed a masterpiece by Utini. It has a near perfect score. I mean, it's a 9.8. We've labeled it on the site as a rich, heartfelt classic that encapsulates all of the best aspects of the EU. Patrick, you've read this before. Does that ring true? Absolutely. Absolutely. It it has that old. It reads like an old Hollywood Western. With uh, a modern flair and just, and it still has that that galaxy far, far away feel to it. It's just so it's layered so well that you just can't. It's hard to stop like reading it, like to put it down to stop for the week, for, like our section for the week. I was like, oh, I can just sneak in a couple more chapters. I'll be fine. I can just <laughs> cheat ahead for next week. I'll be all right. You 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 don't want to put it down. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've I've definitely feel that as well. This being my first time, I know Adam, this is your first time as well, and we'll get your initial thoughts here after we cover the summary. So, spoiler alert for those of you that are tuning in. Um, we're going to get into a little bit of spoilers from this point forward. So, be aware of that if you haven't read Kenobi yet. You plan to do so soon. Definitely stick around at your own risk. So, here we go. Obi-Wan Kenobi is a new arrival on the planet of Tatooine. Now going under the guise of Ben, he has left the baby Luke Skywalker in the care of the Lars family. Kenobi sets up a house on the outskirts of the desert with his pet Yopi, Rue. Nearby, the settlers and moisture farmers um, of Dinar's claim rally together under Orin Galt against the threat of the Tusken Raiders led by Aark, um, who are gradually losing morale and people against Galt's alliance of settlers. Um, following another of the settlers' victorious battles against the Tusken Raiders, Callie Caldwell, the teenage daughter of the owner of Dinar's claim, Annaline, rides a wild dewback toward a field of sarlaccs, which is just all kinds of trouble. Annaline tries to save her daughter, but both women are ended up saved by Kenobi, who's riding in on Rue, as a hero does. After saving the Caldwell women, Kenobi visits Denar's claim and gets a better feel for the people in the area at large and just tries to make himself at home. Adam, you know, this is my first time reading the book, your first time reading the book. Give me your thoughts on these opening 11 chapters. How did it feel to you? 
I was just really, really excited to start this book. Like it is in the foundational five, but I've kind of moved away from legends and really I just, I read a lot of canon. So it needs... How dare you? My legends tend to come from the bookshelf or from you guys, and it comes from recommendations from others. Like, you know, the next one I'm going to read is uh, Heir to the Empire, finally. So I was really excited to like jump into this one. And I wasn't disappointed. Like there is a lot of information in the first 11 chapters, but I'm coming into this book not to see, you know... Ben whip his lightsaber out. Like, I want to see how he copes post the betrayal of the Order and the betrayal of Anakin and just what's going on in that tra- traumatized mind of his. I want to see him grow into what we see. We see old Ben in A New Hope. So I want to see, the, I want to see that journey. And I was starting to get snippets of that, um, especially in the meditation sections of, what, two or three chapters when he's trying to talk to Qui-Gon. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. That's great. Patrick, you know, you're you're coming at this one again. Um, what are your opening thoughts on, on everything you found so far? It really does cement and line up how we see Kenobi when we get him for the first time in A New Hope and how we see him at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Um, and especially just with little tidbits, it really does line up. Like, we'll, I know we'll get into detail later about the aging and about his isolation. Mm. And yeah, I just, I do really feel like it's a good connecting piece. Yeah, this is, this has already done a lot in the opening set of chapters to really kind of walk through how he transitions. I, I guess this book is the transition book, right? It's, you know, um, and we'll get to a particular quote. I guess we can head there now. Um, you know, in the prologue, you know, he's having this meditation not necessarily with Qui-Gon, but more to the idea of him at this point. And, you know, he has this phrasing of, you know, I can't play Jedi for this world and help save the other worlds at the same time. Um, And that's something that he's struggling with is to not all of it, like not continue to be a Jedi. He's trying to find a way to let that part, you know, the extension of his lightsaber basically being another appendage. Like, how do I not go to that immediately every single time something happens? Um, and I think I think this is a, a fantastic yeah, transition book to already kind of walk through. He has got to snap into that very, very quick because his life and the life of everyone in the galaxy <laughs> depends on it. <laughs> I do have to ask you, we do see it in the very first couple of pages. He does get to his lightsaber after reading so much about him in the, you know, in recent months. Like, are you all surprised the first time we meet him in this book, he finds himself in the midst of a bar fight? Patrick, <laughs> you want to go? Every time I read this, I'm just like dying laughing. Like, really? As soon as you drop off onto the planet and you're looking for looking for this farm with a kid, nonetheless, he has an, like a five day old child. He's like, oh, I'll just take him to a bar and ask him for questions. Somebody get me a beer and a map. Nope. Got to cut some limbs. Yep. Adam, uh, you know, he says when he when he's meditating right he's like yeah so trouble seems to follow me everywhere i uh got there was a scuffle at, at anchorhead and there's a another scuffle at a spaceport like what is it about kenobi that he keeps drawing all of this violence <laughs> that civilized accent of his in a desert planet like tatooine <laughs> yeah you definitely yeah I, I i did have a laugh um when i was watching the latest episode of the mandalorian as well 
um, or and just really the first one. Thinking back to the first episode of this season, you know, you got Din takes the child into this Star Wars version of an MMA fight, and yeah, <laughs> and the abyss is like he should yeah. not be here. <laughs> She's Luke, seen worse. Ben. Luke should not be in that bar. <laughs> He's just trying to find directions, though. <laughs> Where other... else are you going to go? Yeah, only the bar. You can only ever go to the cantina. <laughs> no one else can give you any directions. No one. Has to be the barkeep. <laughs> yeah. I also, I, I do have to shout out, um, since you mentioned The Mandalorian, I do have to, to give a shout out uh, to Jedi Pig. Um, you know, who mentioned last week that listening to the Mandalorian soundtrack while reading Kenobi is a whole mood. And I have to agree with that. I definitely read parts of this since I'm like eyeballs to paper reading it. I was like, I'm going to try this. And man, does it, is it a whole nother thing? And especially getting to see in that first episode, you know, some, you know, like a, a call that's similar to what we see in the book and to some of this kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is perfect. This is everything. So I highly recommend doing that if you haven't yet. Shout out to Jedi Pig there. Uh, Patrick, was were you going to add something else? Got it now. It's OK. It's I'm okay. old, man. <laughs> it slips from mind. You, you, it does. You get my age, everybody. Things slip your mind. <laughs> But yeah, I had to I had to make a note of of Kenobi, you know, just kind of being there, bringing a kid along. He's just trying to find directions, but he he just can't stop getting into trouble. It was Anakin, you know, before and even still, it's like the spirit of Anakin lives with him because he just can't catch a break. My God, (laughs) we move into part one, which is the Oasis Um, chapter one. I thought it was really cool. We get to see the Tusken Raiders um, from their perspective. Right. I I thought it was really neat that we had, um, you know, this kind of creation story almost, Um, you know, like every every kind of people group, faith group, you know, may have their own kind of creation story. And I felt like we kind of got a little bit of this with the Tuscan Raiders here. You know, they it says that they walk with the twin shadows of sacrilege and failure beside them, you know, with the two sons being brothers and, and this whole dramatic, you know, thing playing out. Adam, how did this introduction to the Tuscans sit with you? It, I loved it. It's it's a wrong term, but it's a term that will have meaning. It's like it humanizes them. Yeah. Um, you. It's these types of stories that creates a softness in your heart for, you know, who these, who the this population is, and it also goes into and we're going to go into it like Oren's view of the Raiders and what happens during this siege that we're about to talk about of the young Raider trying to get away, gets, gets shot from behind. Like when you, when you find out about them and like a, like a personal level, like you do at the start of this book, then that hits a lot harder. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially, you know, we've, we've now watched Mando season two, episode one again, where we got to see this, kind of in action this humanizing of the tuscan raiders because they aren't they they live off the land they are what we would call a native population so yeah it was yeah yeah it's always helpful to see a a different perspective right to to get a a a relationship built with the quote-unquote other Right. Mm. Like that's it's really powerful. And especially in Star Wars, when 
everyone is basically an other, you know, that it's really cool to be able to get that world building and to to be able to get that that relational aspect, which I know will come into play a little bit later. I've I've seen a handful of spoilers. This book has been around for a while, but to to see that we're going to get more of that, I'm very excited about. You know, Patrick, it seems like, you know, the Raiders are a very natural and like um, like Adam said, you know, a native people. Um, their kind of leader, Aark, mentions that he's, uh, I guess, upset about the, you know, the Vaporators and he wants like the water to be returned to the ground. Um, you know, this whole raid that happens, like, why is it happening? Well, it's honestly, this is pretty much just another spin on our own uh, American history. If you think about things of colonization and Americans going westwards and overtaking which was original native lands and then all right especially if in certain native cultures certain animals or certain types of trees or certain just a certain resource was held held as sacred um and it's you see someone else coming in here using it um sacrilegiously there that will show offense that will start conflict that will start violence because you're coming on someone else's home and disrespecting everything that they hold near and dear. And um, I think that's also a very great setup for this book because it has such a, it has such a real tie to what, especially in this country, what's what we've gone through with um, our own native population. Sadly, I should say. Yeah. I'm really, really excited to get into the, as this book progresses, um, you know, to get into how how some of these differences could be settled and, and, and what that kind of situation looks like, because I think we do learn, you know, it's one thing to, I guess, to read real history. Right. And you can be like, oh, this is history. This happened. But there's something about kind of fictional aspects when you can get it, get at it from a different perspective that you're like, oh, that's what I've been missing this whole time. It's really, really interesting. Chris, see ya. I know you got to get out, but uh, glad you're able to stop in for a little bit. Looking forward to catching you next week. Always love when we've got people to chat with. That's always super exciting. We get in chapter two, you know, after this raid happens, you know, Oren Galt and, you know, some of the locals, you know, who are part of this this posse, I guess, you know, they kind of help clean the place up. You know, the, the Tuscan Raiders did some damage when they went in. What are your thoughts on everything that happened here, Adam? And uh, what are your thoughts on the Settler's Call? I think that the Settler's Call is quite the idea. Um, As soon as it's activated, the effect on the Raiders was instantaneous. They were on the offensive. They were ready. And as soon as they heard that call, naturally, when you hear the call of a crate dragon, um, you you drop everything (laughs) and you leave. Um, which then creates, it disorientates them, and then the settlers can fight back from there. So I think it's, if I was to sit in the settler camp, then I would, that's a great idea. Um, Especially if a crate dragon comes running down Main Street on you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, f- from, to stop, uh, to stop the attack, it is, it is a good machine. I couldn't help but make the connection to A New Hope, right? Which I think this book is supposed to do quite a bit. The first time that we see Ben, really, he kind of throws this projected crate dragon voice out, right? And then 
you know, he goes and rescues Luke and C-3PO and R2 and all that. And I was like, oh, this is where that could have come from. Like, this is, you know, kind of the idea he's borrowing it or maybe it actually happened. I was like, this is the kind of stuff that I really appreciate. Patrick, what what are your thoughts through everything that happened here, the cleaning up the raid and, and everything there? It it really is like a frontier. It really did give me that frontier feel. Like, uh, you know, the local boys with their guns coming out to save somebody under attack from from as they used to put it, the natives or the how they how they um shamefully called it in the book, the savages. Yeah, I'm sorry. I always get a little cringy every time I hear someone get called that in a book. It's like, oh, that's oh, that's not good. But but yeah, it really does set that tone, and it gives me such it gives me such feels of like Obi Wan Kenobi going to like live in like space, North Dakota. That's what this feels <laughs> like. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like welcome to Fargo, the middle of nowhere. Yeah, well, and that's something that was mentioned. I can't remember which chapter it was, right? But, you know, this version of North Dakota may not be like other versions of North Dakota, right? Like, just because you might have lived in a desert planet doesn't mean you've lived on Tatooine. And I I thought that was really interesting that even if a wilderness is a wilderness, and even if, you know, there's nothing, uh, even if things look alike and might be the same, there's definitely going to be some differences that you're going to have to get used to on your own, right? I thought that was really cool, but space, 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 North Dakota is is a good good call there. <laughs> or space Arizona, because one's Air, To be honest, Arizona was the first thing that I thought of, but I could see them both. <laughs> yeah, like he's out like in Flagstaff or something, like somewhere in the middle of nowhere, not in Phoenix. Like most Isley's Phoenix, wherever they have the pod races, that's Phoenix. Or and then you got like most Espas, like Tucson. But he's like out there like Grand Canyon National Park. All right. Tatooine is 100 percent Arizona. <laughs> We're going to put that one on the map uh, that is now blue. Sorry. But I'm tis. There we go. Chapter three, we get to meet Annalene Caldwell and we get to experience a little bit more of the Pika Oasis and Dinar's claim. To be honest, it reminds me of one of those like small town mom and pop shops, you know, like. The Dinar's claim is very much the the blockbuster, the grocery store, the gas station, the repair shop. Like it is everything, and she is keeping it running. You know, Adam, what was your first thought of Annaline? I've heard you know great things about her from you know Charles and people as she's loosely mentioned on the show. But you know, give me your opening thoughts on this woman who's trying to keep her world together. Quite frankly, I think she just doesn't take any kind of shit from anyone. <laughs> yeah. So beep that out. Yeah. <laughs> um, like just a powerful individual. And we're going to see that power, especially when the Jawas turn up. Like she has control. And I'm not seeing the control from a like a, a bad part of her personality. Like she just wants to keep the place going and keep people safe and keep her family safe. Look when her son gets back. Get the cattle prod. Which one? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Just <laughs> how dare he be out there shooting, you know, in the posse. Like, yeah, I think it was a just a great introduction of Annalene and I can definitely already see why people like Charles really uh, like her as a character. Um, but yeah, just the first yeah. thing I got from her is just I take nothing from no one. Yeah, for sure. And it's not, not yeah, like you said, it's not a, a power-hungry <clears throat> 
kind of mm. control. It's very much a I just want to keep mine safe yes. kind of control. Like this is me keeping my world in order. Yes. And I think yeah. like she likes to control as well. One does not see one does not uh look at a arrival of Jawas selling things and then tell telling everyone that they can't buy from them, you must buy from me. So there is a there is some control issues there. But I think it yeah. still stems from not an evil place. Like she just wants yeah. to have her if she's she has, trying to protect if she has herself. her hands in every pie, then she knows that it's going to go right, basically. Yeah. And Patrick, you know, I'm pretty sure you mentioned this in, in a particular section of your notes. Like she's a single mom here managing two completely unwieldy, unruly kids. <laughs> absolutely just an insane job on its own front but what are your opening thoughts on annaline here it's funny how they still describe her hair as brown and they ha- she says they haven't turned to gray yet because like the amount of stress that woman is under because everything <laughs> she does keeps the town together she yeah. is this she is the center of the town she's everything and those kids are kind of bad like they need an ass whooping like both of them ass whooping and like you said, it was funny with the cattle prod. It's like, yes, yeah, she, she's she's a single mother that has to administer tough love at all times because they're in a very rough and they're in a rough and kind of dangerous location. And she's trying to raise her kids to be one industrious and also with some sense so they can survive out in this harsh desert. Yeah. That's a very good point, you know, and, and you mentioned, you know, she's really the the focal point of this town, right? She's the, the center of it. Really, the other half of that is Oren, and he's kind of the he's not the sheriff or the marshal, you know, but, you know, he's he is the one who, you know, kind of put the call into place. He talks, you know, there's this grand speech that he gives uh, right in front of the claim to all the people that are coming back from the raid after cleaning everything up. He talks about how he lost his son, uh, um, you know, on a call about how appreciative he is for the system, you know, and all of these people really look up to him. What is it about him, Patrick, that the people like, why do the people like him so much? Because he one, he's charismatic. He's a family man. He's a kind man. And he's he's that show of strength that they need something to look forward, look towards when especially the Tuscans are attacking. They're doing all these raids on the village and that can cause fear and chaos and have everybody scattered and confused and just terrified. He standing up to them, showing with that strength and that kindness about we're here to help everybody in this community that that drives everybody towards him and honestly i would describe him not as the sheriff but as the mayor who carries a pistol okay mayor who carries a pistol that's my i like it um adam you know how about you we kind of mentioned or i mentioned you know that as annaline is as kind of the the central point to patrick's conversation earlier and Oren's kind of this other half of that, right? All the people look up to him. You know, what are your thoughts on on him? Why do the people like him so much? And maybe speak a little bit on the 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 tension between Oren and Annaline here. 
Yeah, the tension that I can see, there's a few little different areas. I look at Oren and his relationship with his daughter and the fractious nature of that where I think um, he's not so much a father, he's just kind of there. Um, where you look at Annalene's relationship with her son, Jabe, and the very idea that he would be in danger deserved a punishment. Like she has this control over him to that level. And then Oren is on completely the opposite. Oren's daughter is drunk by the mid morning. Um, Just probably not the best person in the Oasis in general, to be honest. I think there was a comment by Annalene's daughter, the wrong twin died. Like, there's clearly some family-on-family family tension there. Um, and we'll see that as we go through in the later chapters as well, especially, I think, what, chapter 10 or 11, when that just blows up. <laughs> but yep. like they, I think they just come from it from two different viewpoints, two different sides, and I think they will ju- they just naturally clash. But, yeah, Pat? And, yeah, to your point about, like, Annalene's control, I feel like Adam, it's coming from a place of fear of loss. Mm. That she's already lost her husband and she's already they've already lost people in that village they know and that they care about. Can they emotionally stand to lose anybody else? Yeah, exactly. Especially somebody as close as your children. Yeah, and then, like, and then like you follow that into Oren's lost his boy, yet he nothing's really changed between him and his daughter. He doesn't that just kind of sent him in the other direction where he's like completely hands off. <laughs> and he's lost his wife. Well, exactly. Like through, di- through divorce papers, but not, yeah, you know. <laughs> like you can look at their well, grieving mechanic mechanisms just to see that they are very different. Um, and like yeah. in terms of Oren, like, I think you're right. I don't see him as the sheriff. I see him as a politician with a gun. Like, <clears throat> You know, he's out there. We help you if you pay the fund. <laughs> so uh, yeah. you look at, we look at Cobb Vanth. He helps you because he will help you. That is just simple. He's the marshal. He's the sheriff. Yeah. yeah. Well, they they both it, – it's very interesting watching their dynamic because um, to both of your points, you know, in, in a sense it's about loss, right? For Annalene who lost her husband, you know, who was Oren's best friend, you know, who helped him build all of – this that they are working on together you know she doesn't want to lose her husband she doesn't want to lose her kids the way she lost her husband so of course you know he shouldn't uh you know jabe shouldn't join on the call hunts you know shouldn't be a part of that and or inside of it is well if we had more people if we had more people like jabe then maybe we would lose less people like your husband um and it's so interesting because it's you know, the two different sides of the I don't want to lose my family. Um, and one way to not do that is just to keep them close and huddled. And then the other side is, yeah, but if you don't want to lose them, we could also fight back. And if we don't fight back, then we're going to lose them even more. And it's very interesting to see that paradoxical paradoxical kind of argument happen there. Adam? Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very, it's like a very conflicting time for them all. Like there are two sides of the the same story, but you don't, one side is we'll put our head in the sand and just enclose ourselves in the shell. But then do I really want to go on the other side and be out there shooting the native population? Like, no. So it's like, they've got to, you've, 
I think there's many things that have to change, not just where do you sit on each side. Like you have to come to the middle and figure it out at a at like humane level as well. Yeah, my meaning. Yeah, Pat, Patrick, do you have something you want to add? And yeah, to Adam's point, um, I'm with him. I feel like a lot of them have they're still getting over um, too many things emotionally to come to that middle section where a proper solution to dealing with this for her and his family would be found. Like Annalene, you can obviously tell she's still, it's just the loss of her husband still eating at her and the fear of loot, the fear of loss <clears throat> Anakin, is still just, um, it's still just gripping at her. So she can't, she's not going to understand that middle section of sometimes we have to go out and defend and other times we can do this when she's been doing all right right now, but just, you know, hiding back in the house and laying low. So I have to wonder if part of the tension between them too, maybe a little bit because they are both single with kids and they're like, Hey, you know, you're single with kids and I'm single with kids. So what if we be together with all of our ridiculous kids that we can't keep in control? Um, I did think it was hilarious when at one point, you know, they're arguing out outside of the claim. Right. And Annalene's friend, I guess, uh, Lily was like, just kiss him already. <laughs> like I was I I, I laughed. <laughs> this, is, this is great because there is, you know, they are very similar, even if they are different. Uh, and I think that there's a part of that, too, that. Um, I know that, you know, Oren mentions later on a couple chapters, like he's never really thought about that, but sometimes it's like maybe if his wife had left earlier, maybe. And I don't know, Adam, you got anything you want to throw in there? Yeah. It's like, what I was thinking about is, was her husband like Oren? Like he died out there doing the call and whatever oh, else. And yeah. then like, was his wife like Annalene and she just flat out had enough and left like, <laughs> They and then, but they they were attracted to those people in the beginning, so maybe that's why there's a bit of that type of tension between the two, as well. Where they're, uh, they're, do I really want to do this again? Yeah, like, <laughs> makes me kind of think that her partner was an Oren and his partner was an Annalene to begin with, and they just haven't escaped that yet. Like, yeah, I look at his daughter, where perhaps his ex was controlling especially with the daughter, the wife left and the daughter just then didn't have that control anymore and just went, you know, just boom, I'm drinking everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's a, she needs to calm down. <laughs> it just made me think that maybe they've been here before and it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get that. Patrick? Also, part of me feels like a lot of these children's behaviors are just cries for help for the parents that they don't have in their life anymore. Like, I'm pretty sure um, Jabe and Callie, they, they desperately miss their dad. And Yeah. Well, and it's been eight years, right? I think it's been eight years since he'd been lost. So, I mean, they're coming of age, right, without having had a father figure in their lives trying to piece together. You know, there's... There's just this one one villain, <laughs> this one parent that's, you know, having to play bad cop all the time. Right. Yeah, it's especially for like a young man, how 
important he needs his father coming up to help him mature in those ways going like you know coming between those years what is he jay was 17 in this book if i was not mistaken yeah he he probably needs somebody to guide him through these confusing years because i know y'all know how confusing it was being like 16 17 18 i didn't know nothing thought i knew everything still dumb as a brick i'm almost 30 and it's still confusing what are you talking about (laughs) timothy let me say this you're right. I don't know nothing. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> World's scary. Uh, well, world being scary moves us into chapter five because it is really tough reading this opening with uh, a arc, who I'm assuming is Plug Eye, who which is the you know the locals kind of name for him, you know the rough uh, Tuscan. Um, you know, chapter five opens with them talking about how the Tuscans solely live for today. You know, they have a word for tomorrow, but because it's not something that's promised, because it's not something that they're guaranteed, um, they have to live for keeping themselves alive and for finding ways just to make it. It's all they have. Um, and it's a rough look, right? We talked about the injured raider. You know, we mentioned him earlier, Adam. And like, he's not worth keeping around because he was injured and he has to lose his hand and you have to have two hands, two arms to be able to hold, you know, a gaffy stick. And I don't know. Give me your thoughts on that. That's brutal, huh? Yeah. And I think just their lifestyle is brutal in general. Uh, And it seems to have been that way for a very long time. So just it's a natural thought of of a arc to just be well, he's not going to survive back home, basically. Like, the way Mm -hmm. that they live, they live in the desert. Um, It's just, I think he just thinks it will be too hard. And they don't, and as you said, their belief is that they live in the now, and unfortunately that raider has not been able to live in the now. Um, So, yeah. I think also for Ayak, he, he has some, like, warlord tendencies so i think he also looks at it yeah. as a you were not strong enough to support me and to support this village well and it sounds like the the local townspeople have done enough to take away some of their their tribe that i mean you know he was complaining and during the raid that you know the the raiders that are with him you know it used to be a very tight-knit family unit that would go in together they understood each other's motives they understood you know who was going to make what move and next but now it's just like cousins and an amalgamation of whoever happens to be nearby and they've had to kind of shrink their roles up and these people that are going in with them these raiders are much younger and don't have experience. Yeah. Um, and as he commented, like they've been doing some first order stuff where they're also taking settlers and yeah. young settlers and trying to assimilate them into this culture, which will then, they're coming from probably compared to living in a Tuscan village pampered to now living in this brutal, hostile environment in a brutal community. Um, like uh, naturally, like it's not going to be what it was. Yeah, Patrick. Also, when they the little um internal monologue of AR when he was describing how the Tuscans their population had dwindled. Did anyone think back to the um Anakin slaughter of the Tuscans? Was like, were they hinting at that, 
Or was they just talking about the natives? I mean, the um, locals killing them off. I was always a little not sure. I was thinking, I, I thought the locals, but I'm not going to lie. Like, I did think about Anakin a little bit. Um, I mean, <laughs> that I'm sure that that would have would have made a pretty big impact on everyone in the area when that happened. Yeah. Like, said, we went to the whole village. They're all dead. Who? The men. But not just the men, but the women and the children, too. Yeah, like, even if, like, it wasn't Ayak's village, because as we know, Anakin left no one. It's There would have been, you know, possibly distant relations in there. Each village would keep each village strong through, um, you know, children. You probably had a couple that were... You probably had a couple that were out getting groceries, you know, that came back and <laughs> no one's there anymore. <laughs> I don't understand. What has yeah. happened? What's, what's the... um? What's the robot chicken one with the um where he, he's like, fine, I'll go get the pizza. Comes back to the Jedi Council and like the whole <laughs> place is on fire and all the chairs are flipped over and everybody's dead. Oh, God, what happened? I've got to hide. No, oh, robot chicken always comes through. <laughs> well, after that, you know, we get. Uh, Callie, just despite her mom, right, hops on the wild dewback and just takes off, crashes through the fence, heads towards the Sarlacc pit. Kenobi ends up riding into the rescue and uses a little bit of the force. Aark sees that and is like, oh, this is weird. If these humans have new magic abilities, we got to we got to stop that. (laughs) Um, What is this? What is this magic power? (laughs) Um, And at the end of chapter six, we get. Obi-Wan with another or Ben, sorry, Ben with another meditation. And he talks about Satine. He mentioned Satine to Qui-Gon. And I thought that was absolutely beautiful. Took me out of it a little bit. because I was like, oh, man, that's so sad. Um, But he talks about how Ben was a private thing between the two of them. You know that she called him that, Um, you know, he says that he pulled it out because he saw it on a map. Right. But, you know, Adam, what does it say about. Um, their relationship and about Obi-Wan's state of mind, Ben's state of mind, that he's thinking about Satine even now to Qui-Gon on a desert planet. I loved it. And I love that we don't get these little drops very often. So when we we do see it, it's pretty special Um, because we've seen that Obi-Wan is able to do what he needs to do as a Jedi. But like in this scenario, when he's there, his life as he knows it is crumbled around him. He's trying to talk to his you know, a dead master who's basically not answering him back. Like, you know, he's going to start thinking back to possibly what I could have had and what I, all I had to do was ask and it would have been mine kind of thing. Like maybe thinking back to those past decisions where right now he might be uh, sitting on a different planet somewhere with Satine and little Kenobi's running around. Like he's going to maybe start, regretting some previous decisions he's made yeah and he mentions that one of the first things of like i i wish i could i'm gonna be alone i'm gonna be doing all this other stuff and he's like i wish i could be alone without my regrets as well i wish i could figure out what to do with those yeah that's very true patrick how did this hit you i mean i made me made me think to myself i bet you he really regrets his last trip to this planet huh (laughs) he said we should never pick that boy my life has been nothing but hell ever since. Now look at me. I'm yeah, space he's... Arizona. <laughs> Not even space Phoenix, space Flagstaff. 
Yeah, he's fallen fallen quite a bit from where what his trajectory was leading him to, right? Like being on the council and, and doing all this to having nothing and nobody and even the Lars family who are taking care of the last possible, you know, uh, safety net for the galaxy. They don't even like him uh, because of, of his close kinship to Anakin. Like he has literally lost everybody that is near and dear to him, including Satine, who was arguably the love of his life. Like, yeesh, he has fallen hard. His half-son, half-brother tried to kill him. Yeah. Yeah, the, the tally's just extensive. Also, the idea that he still believes he killed Anakin is running throughout this book, and I was like, oh, he does not know yet. Yeah, that was tough. That was tough. Um, I, I, I didn't... I forgot that he wouldn't have known. And so when I read that, I was like, oh, poor guy. He doesn't. Uh. <laughs> well, granted, let's be honest. If you leave somebody next to a volcano with no limbs, it's kind of likely you, like game set. You don't match. think the best. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, do, you don't think that's going to get any better. Well, you know, we talked about it briefly. I do want to go back to to Annalene's big spiel in front of the Jawas and the Sandcrawler. That was a pretty epic stand for her, you know, something that um, her husband had done for a very long time. And Oren kind of gave her the heads up like, hey, Sandcrawler's about to show up like you should go do your thing, girl. Um, and she is fierce. Like we really get to see that. And I, I was wondering you know, I at first I kind of thought this was a giant charade, and I know I'm going to ask this question, but I think I know the answer anyways. But, you know, was this charade that she does like, is that mostly for the Jawas or is that for the people? Adam, I want to get your thoughts on this first. Like, is it a hey, people keep in line, like, don't buy stuff from them. You're going to buy stuff from me. Or was it for the Jawas of going like, hey, don't 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 be jacking around here. I'm the boss. Well, I think it was definitely for both, but mostly for her people. I think it's just always a reminder that, you know, I am I am in charge and, and I am the anchor of this settlement. Uh, for the Jowers, I think they just, they're going to trade and they're going to do what they want to do, um, whether with her or with, or with the people. So really, I think it leans towards the villagers more so. Um, but yeah, just another example of her just, Nope, this is the way it is. This is how I keep this place running and how I keep this place safe and my control is my control. Yeah. Patrick, you? For two different recipients. That's what, that's what I thought that was. You don't act up and you don't act up and we will have no problems here. It's like sending a text message to multiple people. Problem. Same message, two people. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's nice, you know, for her, you know, she has her foot in so many different things. Um, you know, she has to dabble in so many different pieces of the claim that she probably doesn't get an opportunity very often to demonstrate this kind of authority, I guess, uh, because you also have to put on this this friendly face to get people to want to still hang around and to drink from your ta you know, from your counters and everything like that. And so I thought that was really cool to see of her to do this. Um, you know, Ben shows up shortly thereafter. Um, she goes ahead and lets, lets the town people, you know, those that are there in the claim, go ahead and start dealing with the Jawas directly just to give Ben a break. Cause they are just pestering him like crazy. 
Um, and she's like, I always knew they'd come in handy someday. She's kind of piecing together, you know, who he is based on the things that he's buying because he doesn't reveal much about himself because that's dangerous to do. Um, and then Mullen and Vika come in, the Galt kids, and just absolutely just <laughs> muck everything up, super drunk, and just give Kenobi a, a just a, a really rough time, right? Um, we get to see Ben use the force a little bit again here, and then he just kind of takes off. Oren had left a little while ago, you know, to go and, and Ulbrick, who we met in the very opening, the prologue, he's kind of his own. He is a successful Oren, right? <laughs> um, I think that's the way that I've I've kind of pieced together, you know, the difference between those two. He's uh, a very successful at what he does. You know, Oren's trying to get him to to buy a subscription to the call. Um, and he's like, I don't need that. You know, I'm fine on my own. You know, all this stuff kind of happens there at the end. And then we get chapter 11, which is, you know, Kenobi runs into Oren and they walk around the Galt place. Um, Oren's like, hey, if you're going to be on my land, I don't I don't hate you for it, but you're going to get a tour because you're new here and I want to know who you are. We get some really cool sh- conversations with with him about the Lars family a little bit. And Obi-Wan's trying to keep some things together. Um, Adam, you know, kind of walk me through the ending of this section. You know, your thoughts on, um, you know, Ben kind of leaving the claim, buying supplies and then getting to this place where he's trying to learn about this new area that he's in from arguably one of the more important people in, in the land. Yeah. You're right, Mullen. <laughs> Mullen and Vika are definitely something else, um, and I. <laughs> we just we go back to what we talked about. Like it's just completely different parenting styles, and yeah, they're just. <laughs> <laughs> um, when uh, it was funny with Oric though, where it, <clears throat> he kind of reminded me of the modern day high wage individual who just doesn't think that he needs to pay more tax. It's like, well, buddy. <laughs> You have more <laughs> means you can give more. Well, yeah, you know what I mean? Like it just, it was like a modern yep. day, just that type of guy who just doesn't think that he needs to support those around him when you have the means. And there is a reason why we do that. <laughs> so um, like, I think there was some, yeah, some modern day, some modern day politics getting into that between Oren and, and Oric, which really stood out to me. And Those just, yeah. damn space Republicans. <clears throat> yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I really, really enjoyed the the end. Like, I think we saw a bit of a softer side to Oren in his conversation with, with Ben. It was, um, especially after he realized that Ben didn't have any intention romantically towards Annalene. So going to, again, back to where we previously sat, there's clearly something there for Oren. At least that we now I think that we can say that that's confirmed because he then opened up more to to Ben after he was sure that 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 Obi Wan didn't have any kind of advance advances planned. Um, so I think we saw the nice side of Warren. Um again from the please pay for this side, but I still like there is a some niceness in him, and I think we saw that now. And in- you know, from Obi-Wan, from Ben's side, Obi-Wan's side, you know, he talks in his meditation like, you know, Oren does seem like a like a decent person. Like, yeah, he's a salesman, but he seems like a decent person. And he does. He definitely seems like 
someone who I should make a showing of myself to because he would be suspicious of me otherwise. So as much as I don't want to put myself out there, I kind of might have to for his sake, because otherwise I would be putting more emphasis on myself, which was interesting uh, to see there too. Patrick, what are your thoughts on kind of the way this closes out and, and Orin and Kenobi's conversation? I think Orin, he really shows that, like Adam said, he's that politician salesman, but he also, he does it in the idea of community. Cause yeah, he's trying to get you to buy something, but at the same time, kind of for a noble cause. If you're, if you're a settler, you know, it's like, that's actually a pretty good thing. And you think about what he's trying to sell you. It's just to keep up with, you know, munitions and transportation. That's, not unreasonable, but I can't remember if this was in chapter 11 or 12, but the this also goes along with where Annalene said to Kenobi, the um, more you try and hide yourself, the more you'll stand out. And the more you go about your business and blend in in the town, the more you'll be overlooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I really think that had to actually like just – those are like cues that he, Kenobi had to pick up first from Oren and second from Annalene. Yeah. Adam? I think it also shows Oren's priorities might need a little bit of a reset. Well, not a reset, but just a bit of a reshuffle. So I think that he is putting everything into protecting the community, which, I, you know, is great and all. But probably at the expense of his family, where he's the care factor um, and his ability to put his foot down and be a parent is kind of hampered a little bit. Um, so maybe, Oren, you should care about Vika a little bit more and her struggles might be more apparent to you then and you'll be able to help her if she wants, if she is open to your help after you clearly haven't done that for God knows how long. Um, and then his boy, like we look at Mullen <clears throat> and he's getting some real cavalry vibes. You know what I mean? Like, like he just wants to get out there and do some horrible things. That's my vibe of Mullen right now. Where again, yeah. if you, if you be, if you just take a step back from protecting the community as a whole, protect your family and help them before that just goes downhill. And yeah, know, I'm only, I've only read 11 chapters, but can see that happening because he's just not he's he's blind to what's happening in his family or he just doesn't care enough right now well he's got some of that high quality h2o (laughs) that he is (laughs) developing in those vaporators i mean i'm as soon as you know ben takes a, a sip of some of that crisp ice cold freezing water i was like let's slap a tatooine sticker on it and sell it in every market in the area like that's like the equivalent of like the fiji spring water or something you know and, it was and, incredible and then you like we, um, and we look at him like in obi-wan is saying some good tendencies but like what makes you a good person is it you protecting the community or protecting your family because you're not protecting the family which means that's a major flaw that you have right now mm-hmm. because they're just well, those, those two are just plummeting. You can see it. Yeah. Um, and like, he's just, yeah, like just simple. Veek is there at eight o'clock drinking and he says, yeah, cool. <laughs> well, and how can you, you know, as, as someone who has, um, 
you know, seen family situations similar to this, you mm-hmm. know, through friends and in my life and, and things like that, you know, it's really hard to, it's really hard to actually be good and do your community good. If you can't be there for your family, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because when that has been ravaged and ruined, it's really hard to save face anywhere else. Yeah, like, um, and there's, there's immediate doubt like- there as well. Like, is his protection of the Oasis like a, a coping mechanism for him because he just cannot right. fix he, – he, he, one, he cannot fix it, but I don't think he knows how to start that process. Like, that first con- well, that first bit of communication is the key, and he's just uh, – maybe he's scared. He doesn't – he just wants to just pretend it's fine. Well, and it's hard. I mean, you know, when he's lost a child to, to still try to want to – you know, it doesn't matter how hard you try, you're still going to have a little bit of um, of loss knowing that giving love to your family and to your children that one is still missing. Like and I am not a parent at all, but I can I can see how that could be difficult. Um, and with any with any bad thing that happens to anyone, you, you want to try to find good things to throw yourself into. But there's got to be a, a healthy balance. And that's not something that he seems to have a good grip on. Yeah, it's Patrick. Nice. No, but um, as you, to what y'all are saying, I agree with you on both of these fronts because he, the pillar of a person's life is the home life, the family life. What do they endure for? Well, no, I shouldn't say endure because it makes it sound like it's pure hell. But what do you experience first in the first in your day, your home life? What do you experience when you come home? What is supposed to be your comfort zone from the outside world is your home and your family and if that's in shambles you don't have everything else you're doing the outside is not on a pillar i mean not on bedrock of stone but it's you're building your life on quicksand almost yeah because if you don't have that backing and stability at the house everything's just you're one incident away from everything just crumbling right under you and everything that you do undermined like you were saying adam yeah, I think it's like you have – we're going to follow Kenobi's growth and journey through this book. But I think these, like both Oren and Annalene, are, we're going to see – like they've both had their own traumas and they're de- they're dealing with it on, in completely two different ways. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how their journey goes. Um, I've never read this, so I'm really interested to see if Oren can come back. I'm really interested to see if Annalene can allow her children to to be who they need to be, like take the chain away and, and allow them to live. Like I'm really looking forward to see if those two characters can learn and grow. Patrick. And I just want to ask y'all, for all the flaws that we've noticed in these people, I don't know about y'all, but I still find them very likable people. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think that's also one of the great credits of this book is these. It's these people that have major problems and they have major character flaws, and they're very understandable ones. And yet, yeah, uh, you still love them. Like, yeah. like you, you know, like, like you'd feel safe with Annalene. Like you know, yeah. because you know there is order, and then you you would feel safe for Oren because you know he'd probably be there to help you especially if you are part of his of his um conglomerate like you like you 
there is a safety there and a likability to the both of them. They both have good, very good traits as people. Well, that's that's one of the good things that I think that uh, you know John Jackson Miller does a great job of. You know, this sets out to be a western, and this reminds me of some of the very best westerns that I've ever watched. Um, you know, or have read about. You know, you you have that trusting kind of community that you know the only people that we have next to us are the people we got next to us and yeah we might be a little bit dysfunctional but we all have the good things about us we all have what makes us keep coming back to each other every day and we put up with each other because we have to but also because we want to like um even like they put up with each other's rambunctious children <laughs> because they're all family in a weird you know kind of communal sense um and that's something that I think lands really well for this to be that kind of Western ish book uh, is to, to kind of bring that up. They even have, you know, the local doctor, right. <laughs> that, that comes in, that rides in to save the day to patch the kids up. Then he goes back, you know, like that's, um, that's something that, that came across very true, but like it's, uh, it's like, we can't forget that they are living in a tough place. Like it's yeah. not easy at all. Nothing is easy. Food, yep. water, living, uh, like it is terrible. But <laughs> like, by if like looking at our standards to you know what they have to do to survive, it is it would that in itself creates problems that you can't escape. Yeah, from. well, and I I think these characters mesh really well too with Kenobi, mm. who is also a very mm. broken person right now. Um, just trying to piece things together and trying to find a way to survive. And that fits very well with these other people in this harsh environment. Um, it's a, a great place for him to jump in and to feel uh, alone and separate, but also very much a part of it. Like I can grieve as these people are grieving their own things as well. There's a lot of loss. There's a lot of heartache and I can, I can relate. I can be there. Really cool. Really cool. Favorite favorite portions of of this so far, um, Patrick. You've I know you've read this before, but what are you without spoilers or anything? What are you most looking forward to? Who's your favorite por- person up to this point? Where do you want to see them go? Oh, I love Annaline, and I kind of want to see. Well, I don't kind of. I desperately want to see her interact with Obi Wan a lot more because I yeah. feel like she puts on like the um. I'm going to go out on a date voice for him. Like she's like, he just, she tries to go all out for him. Like she's like, Oh, he's kind of handsome. He's interesting. And Kenobi's just like, uh, yeah, I'm just going to be over here. So oh, I'll see you later. And yeah, shout out to Brialis. Thank you so much. Mm. Yes. Thank you. We, we try. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, how about you? Who are you uh, most excited about looking forward to reading about what's been your favorite part so far? <laughs> I'm naturally excited to see how how Kenobi goes through the book, but um, just at like a real human level, I want to see how Annaline and Oren cope, um, and 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 naturally how their families cope with everything that's happening. Like Kenobi, that overarching story arc is something that will keep me going, but I just this real human level about these two that I just want to see how they. Um, just how they go, basically. Just what's going to happen with these two and what's going to happen with their kids. I'm going to take it a little bit different. I want to see more 
of Aark and Tusken Raiders. I want to see Ben have a conversation with them. Um, I, I want to see, I have a feeling that's going to happen. And I just, I want to see what that relationship looks like. Um, and I, we've seen little bits and pieces. I mean, we're getting some stuff in the Mandalorian, like we mentioned at the top of the show. We've also seen in myths and fables, uh, you know, with, uh, some stories of of possibly Obi Wan, probably Obi Wan, and you know the Tusken Raiders there, and so I'm just, I'm really excited to see what that looks like to see Ben do a little bit of Jediing in the sense that he was always the the peacemaker. I want to see how that plays out um, if it does between these two tribes, so to speak. So very excited about Ooh. that. You good, Patrick? I was trying to do the grievous voice, the ah, the negotiator. <laughs> it kind of rolled off as a growl. Sorry. <laughs> it's a, no, that's great. That's great. Well, thank you to everyone in the chat for joining us. Uh, Juliana, it's good to see that you jumped in. Uh, we mentioned your video that you mentioned at the uh, last week, I think, that you posted from the Star Wars Kids channel. Incredible hype to get into reading this book. Uh, guys, I think we did a great job of picking Kenobi to do as the Mandalorian comes back. Um, shout out to Jedi Pig again for uh, dropping the idea of listening to the Mando soundtrack while while reading. Um, definite highlight of my week so far. We'll be back next week, y'all, to talk through Kenobi chapters 12 through 23. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Discord at underscore T Guthrie. Adam is at DarkStarAU and Patrick is on Discord at Mac11. If you want to help support the show, head on over to utini.com, look up Kenobi, and click the Amazon link in the profile. Um, it'll keep us on the air and help us produce more awesome content. You will find links to Kenobi, the Age of Republic hardback, and Light of the Jedi in the show notes. Um, they're on Patreon, and we'll also post some links up in Discord as well to those. If you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on Patreon or pick up some new merch at utini.com forward slash merch. If y'all are listening to this on Patreon on Tuesday, I believe we're going to have a merch drop very, very soon since uh, the From a Certain Point of View book is about to release. So make sure to go and check that out. Special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson, Kyle Hickman, and our very own Freddie C on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier, and Cheryl Bell and Patrick Ortiz on our Jedi High Council tier for their amazing support. And last but not least, shout out to Adam and Patrick for podcasting with me today. May the Force be with you, everyone. 